First Thessalonians chapter four, and we're continuing on the series on the book of First Thessalonians, and so we're going to start with verse thirteen today, and I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. But here's what it says: And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So as we look at the passage of Scripture in a little while, we also realize it's a time of in our world for prayer. And we have not only the world's needs and praying for our country and our president and all the different ones that are making decisions in our state and county and community, but there's probably a lot of people that are just needing prayer. Maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Or maybe they've just lost a loved one or whatever it might be, and I, I just want to have a word of prayer, uh, just bringing all this together. So if you just bow with me, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here today and, and worship uh, wherever we might be in our homes or cars or whatever it might be. But Lord, we just thank you that you're with us always. And Lord, right now we just lift up our country to you. We, we actually just pray for the whole world in this coronavirus. We just pray for an ending on this virus. We know that you're the great physician, the great healer. And Lord, we just pray for those who have contracted this disease that you'll be with them and heal them. We also just uh, pray for all the leaders that are making decisions for all of us during this time. And we just lift them up to you and just pray that they can humble themselves before you. And Lord, just for the ones in our community, maybe the ones in our congregation or whatever the case might be, they're not feeling well today. We just pray that you'll be with them. But Lord, more than anything else, we just know that you are in control, that your God overall, and we just commit our lives into your hands, and we just pray for the rest of this service. We just pray for your word as we expound on it in a little while. We just pray for the singing that's going to continue, and we just leave it all in your hands. In this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So uh, turn in your Bibles, First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start with verses 13 through 18, which we read earlier, and we'll probably read again later on. But uh, as we get started, there was a a guy just out of college, and he was uh, candidating for his first church. It was a small country church. He was a little nervous, and about 10 minutes into his sermon, his mind went blank. But then he recalled what he had learned in school, and the teacher there had told him that if you forget or you draw a blank, just say your last point. And so the young man repeated to himself, he said, Behold, I come quickly. That didn't help. His mind was still blank. So he walked uh, over to another part of the pulpit and, and he said, he goes over to the side and he repeats again. He goes, behold, I come quickly. But as he was doing that, he kind of got his foot caught in the microphone cord and he tripped and he landed in the old lady in the front row. Well, he feels really bad. He's just candidating for this church. He's all red in the face and tells the lady in the front row, he goes, 
I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do this. And she goes, well, it's okay, young man. It's my fault. You gave me three warnings that you were coming. Well, when we look at our scripture today, Jesus has assured us more than once that he's coming. The second coming of Christ was something to which this Thessalonian church was looking forward to. And I guess it kind of comes up with, as we continue on in this series, we didn't really think the world was going to be in the situation we are now. But I think it really shows that we need to be ready. But as we look at this uh, passage in Thessalonians, and we've looked through this first book, we see that this Thessalonian church was an exemplary church. And if we look at chapter 4, Paul praises what we talked about last week. He, he praised the church for adopting love, for, for being hard workers. Chapters 2 and 3, he described the church as a scriptural church, as a suffering church, as a really strong church. And if we go back to the very first chapter, Paul praises the church for being an energetic church, an elect church, an evangelistic church. But I think one of the prominent ones is they were an expectant church. They were, it says in verse 10 of chapter 1, they were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. As we look at the second half of chapter 4 now, Paul explains to the Thessalonians exactly what they had to look forward to. And it's not just them, but it's every church of every generation since then that still looks forward today. And I want to read our passage of Scripture one more time because I want us to get the just of it. So starting with chapter 4, verse 13, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And when I look at this passage, there are four elements that we as Christians need to get excited about. The first one is, we're anticipating Christ's return. Christ's return and the rapture and all those kinds of things have been various stories but there's a headline that came out of the austin texas newspaper and here's what the headline reads man experiences heart attack after the rapture and the story goes on to say herbert washington whom co-workers at the company say he was overly concerned about the rapture and the second coming of christ he was obsessed with it but they say that he suffered a serious heart attack when the co-workers pretended that they had been caught away without him. And what happened is on a Tuesday, the workers laid out their work outfits on chairs and they all hid in the supply room. And when Herbert came back from the restroom, he thought the rapture had occurred. Now the story gets even better. The janitor who is an outspoken Muslim, pretended to have witnessed everyone disappearing, and he ran around the office 
in a panic. Well, when Herbert came out of the restroom and he saw all that was going on, he fell to the ground, clutching his heart, screaming, I knew you'd forget me, Jesus. Story goes on to say that he had bypass surgery. He's doing well now. But his wife has said that he's reading his Bible more than he ever has before in his life. So, the rapture or the coming of Christ, while it may make for entertaining movies and heart-stopping pranks, the reality is, the Bible doesn't really speak of a secret rapture where faithful Christians disappear while unbelievers are left behind. Rather, Paul tells us, if we look at verse 16 of chapter 4, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. If you go over to the book of Revelation in chapter 1, verse 7, Revelation adds, Look, He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see Him. So just imagine you're driving your car home, your thoughts are wandering about maybe the game that you had been watching or the meal that you wanted to eat, when suddenly you hear a sound that is unlike anything that you've ever heard before. But the sound is high above you. Is it a trumpet? Is it a choir of trumpets or a choir? You're not sure, but you want to know. So you pull over, you get out of your car, and you look up. And as you do, you realize you're not the only curious one. The roadside has become a parking lot. Everybody's out of their cars. Doors are open. People are staring up at the sky wondering what's going on. And what they see and what you see has never been seen before. As you look up, the atmosphere is like parting. A brilliant light spills onto the earth, followed by a bunch of angels. Angels and sounds of trumpets. And you can hear the angels singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And suddenly everything becomes silent. All is quiet. And the entire world turns, and there's Jesus. A silhouetted figure of Jesus. Instantly you know what is happening. And you know what? Nothing else in your life matters right now. You can forget the stock markets. You can forget eating. You can forget going to school or report cards or anything like that. You can forget all the sports. Nothing is newsworthy as what's going on right now. Christ has come. So will it be exactly like that? I don't know. But I know that when Christ comes, everybody is going to know that. And everyone's going to be amazed by Jesus. And so... A mighty church, mighty Christians, they anticipate the return of Christ. They also anticipate the resurrection. Paul assured the Thessalonians, if we go back to that verse 16, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now, that raises a whole bunch of questions in itself, this resurrection part. And a lot of times we only read scriptures about the resurrection of, of us at funerals. And if you turn over to 1 Corinthians 15.35, Paul anticipated the questions in his letter to the Corinthians. But he writes in verse 35, But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? So not only does Paul ask the question, but he answers the question. He compares the resurrection to a seed that is buried in the ground before it sprouts new life. 
Verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. And then he goes on to describe some of the specific changes that we will experience in our resurrected bodies. Our body goes from perishable to imperishable, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, from a natural body to a supernatural body. So won't it be great to have a body like that? We'll all have supernatural bodies. I have no idea what that's like. But it'll be like we can't even imagine. A body defined by power and glory. Billy Graham, who we all know, and passed away, he passed away a while back, he tells the story how he once passed a shop that was no longer open for business. It had a sign that said, Closed for Renovation. The owner had closed the shop and was doing some remodeling. And after a while, he reopened that business. Had a lot of changes to it. Had a lot of improvements to it. And Billy Graham said, that is a picture of our death and resurrection. He says, when, you're, when you die, your spirit moves out of your body temporarily until it has been repaired, has been remodeled. And at the resurrection, your spirit will move into your newly remodeled, indestructible, glorified, powerful, supernatural body. I still don't know what that is. But it's really neat. But I'm looking forward to finding out what that's like. So mighty churches await the resurrection. And the third thing that we see in this passage is we can look forward to a great reunion. Paul's purpose in bringing up the resurrection seems to be the Thessalonians' concern for their loved ones that have passed away. If we look at verse 13 through 17, he says, We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He talks about when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, when you lose a loved one, the hope of reuniting with them as Christians become great comfort to us. Maybe some of you know the musician Stephen Curtis Chapman. He has a song entitled, Heaven is the Face. And the story behind it is a very sad story. But in May of 2008, Stephen Curtis Chapman's son was backing out of the driveway, not realizing that his five-year-old sister was behind the car. She was playing right behind the car. She was crushed beneath the rear wheels of the car, and she ultimately passed away. And when Stephen Curtis Chapman finally returned to his music career and recording. This is what he wrote. And I just want to read some of the lyrics to this song. It says, Heaven is the face of a little girl with dark brown eyes that disappear when she smiles. Heaven is the place where she calls my name, says, Daddy, please come play with me for a while. God, I know it's all of this and so much more, but God, you know that this is what I'm aching for. God, you know I just can't see beyond the door. So right now, heaven is a sweet maple syrup kiss and a thousand other little things I miss with her gone. Heaven is the place where she takes my hand and leads me to you and we both run into your arms. 
O God, I know it's so much more than I can dream. It's far beyond anything I can conceive. So God, you know I'm trusting you until I see heaven in the face of my little girl. Who do you long to see when Christ comes? I mean, in addition to our family members or maybe good friends that have passed away, do you realize we'll be able to meet believers of every era way back when? Maybe it's Abraham Lincoln. Or I mentioned maybe you want to talk to Billy Graham when you get up there. Or I was thinking about it, maybe you want to meet Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not the singing group, but the disciples. The point is, mighty churches look forward to that reunion. And the last thing I want to say is mighty churches look forward to our reward. There's a story about a man named Fred who passed away. And he's up at the pearly gates. And he's a little nervous to be up at the pearly gates. And realizing he's trying to be admitted into the heavenly city. So he finds himself at the gate with St. Peter there. And Peter says to him, Fred, it would help the process in getting into heaven if you would just share with me some experience on your life on earth when you did a purely unselfish kind deed, Peter said. So Fred thought about it for a moment. And then he said, okay, I remember He says, one day I was walking along and I came upon a little old lady who was being harassed by this motorcycle dude. And he said, I I saw what was happening and I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I just stepped right up there and first of all, I pushed his motorcycle over. And then I went over to this biker dude and I kicked him really hard in the shin and I told the old lady to take off and run for help. And the angel goes, that's pretty impressive. She goes, that definitely qualifies as a kind, unselfish deed. When did this happen? And Fred looks around, looks at his watch, and he goes, about three minutes ago. Now, thankfully, if you have put your faith in Jesus, we don't have to prove our worth to get our reward. Jesus assures us, he says, verse 17, Christ died for us, or in chapter 5, verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Verse 17 of chapter 4 says, we will be with the Lord forever. That's the hope. That's the hope that every one of us have. A life without end, everlasting life, life eternal, life without limits. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he promised one thing that no one else could ever promise. And that was eternal life. That's why Jesus came into the world, to save us and give us eternal life. John 10.10 says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus speaks both of the quantity and the quality beyond measure. Now, we're going through a time in our lives right now that life isn't the way it used to be. We're entering a whole new era. And sometimes we look at our life and some of the things that are going on and we're disappointed. Life isn't isn't what it's cracked up to be. But when we look at the life in Christ, life God offers us something that will never disappoint. Heaven's going to be a place where there's no sadness, no more mourning, no more boredom. 
No more bounce checks. No more bad moods. No more tantrums. No more terrorists. And then think about tireless muscles. We're going to have unhindered joy. In the message translation of John 10.10, he says, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's what the Thessalonians eagerly waited for. But it's what we do too. And whether or not Christ comes back in our lifetime, all of us will be resurrected on that day. We'll be reunited with fellow believers of every age. We'll be rewarded with eternal life in the company of Jesus. So in the meantime, our job is to be prepared. In Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul cautioned us with this. Concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really know or we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. I got one more story. While on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton, he left for a few men, left a few men on Elephant Island promising that he would return for them. Later when he tried to go back, there were huge icebergs that blocked their way. But suddenly, as if by a miracle, an avenue opened in the ice and Shackleton was able to get through to that island. His men were ready and, and waiting. As soon as they saw him, they scrambled aboard quickly. And no sooner had the ship cleared the island than the ice had iced up again and crashed together behind them. And when they started contemplating their escape, the explorer said to his men, Men, it was fortunate that you were ready and packed and ready to go when I came. And here's what they said. They said, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags. We reminded each other, today the boss could be coming. And so, there's no predicting when Jesus is going to come back. But the mighty church, the mighty Christian for each one of us, hopefully we are packed and we're ready to go at all times. So the question is this morning, are you ready? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you accepted Him as Lord and Savior of your life? Because that's what it's going to take for us all to be ready for when Christ comes back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And we just thank You that we're able to, to worship, whether it's uh, live or recorded or live stream or whatever it might be. But Lord, I just pray that Whoever hears this or watches this, Lord, that we can all search our hearts and make sure that we are ready to meet you. We thank you so much for your amazing grace. And I just pray that you'll just be with us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.